sound. Can you guys hear me now? All right, I think I think we fixed that issue. So uh, I'll, I guess I'll restart here. It is uh, Thursday, January. No sound. Charles, are we still? Do we still have no sound? And say so you've commented twice. Yes. Okay, we got sound now. Sorry about that. A little technical difficulty. Um, so it's Thursday, January thirteenth, twenty twenty-two. You're watching State of the Family Courts. I am your host, Mark Real Jr. So tonight, uh, this will be my first live appearance of the year, and uh, we're going to do a little Q&A, something we like to do every six to eight weeks, uh, something that uh, seems to be a big hit, just getting information straight to the people. So um, before, before I hop in, um, if you have questions, go ahead and start asking them in the comments and we'll get to those. Um, last night, I want to, I want to talk about last night. So, um, I got to give a big shout out to Chris Cole and, uh, the, we, the parents podcast. Um, you can find them at we, the parents, uh, podcast on YouTube, Facebook, um, Instagram, really all forms of social media. But, uh, Chris was able to pull off the impossible. Um, so Chris hosted a show last night with, uh, there were seven attorneys, seven of us, we're uh, on the show, and I'm going to adjust my camera down a little bit here, guys. Um, so Chris was able to get seven attorneys from all across the country uh, to be on the show, and we went for about two and a half hours last night. I see Ted Bush in the comments. Uh, he was on the show last night, Sean Colmeyer, Connie Reguli, um, Ben Beveridge, Melissa Isaac, who am I missing? Uh lawyer Leslie. So we, we had a good time last night. Uh, that's on my, my personal, the, the father's rights attorney page, or you can go to any of Chris's pages. We, the parents podcast and watch that. There was a lot of great information in there. So, um, once again, if you're just joining in, I know we just had a bunch of viewers pop in. We're going to do a Q and a tonight. So go ahead and drop your questions in the comments. So, um, and I'll dig through here and we'll start with answering a few questions. All right. So, uh, John, so that, that podcast, so if you go to the father's rights attorney, um, I've shared the broadcast from last night. Um, and, uh, or you can go to Chris's page, we, the parents podcast, and you'll be able to see that. And that was about two and a half hours uh, last night that we chopped it up. And, and you have uh, seven attorneys. And then Chris is one of the most educated non-attorneys in the space. Um, just talking about anything and everything dealing with family law. So uh, we'll go ahead and I'll hop right in here. Um, let me dig through for some questions. So... We're going to get Benj Benjamin Ramirez here. So um, Benjamin says, do you think it will be helpful if fathers did peaceful protest in front of family courts? Um, so that's something. And then he comments uh, for awareness. Yeah, I think that's something that that definitely could help. Um, last night on on the show on the We the Parents podcast, Sean Colmeyer talked about April 25th is Parental Alienation Awareness Day. And um, essentially, the goal of Parental Alienation Awareness Day is to get as many people as possible to get to the biggest courthouse you can and stand in front of it and raise awareness. Um, and so I, I think that's one piece. There's a, a lot of different ways and a lot of different things that anyone can do to help raise that awareness. 
last week we played some uh, clips uh, from shows where attorneys talked about what's going on legislatively, how to be effective in talking to legislators. Right now, we're at the beginning of the year. Many of your state legislatures are just getting into session or or have in the last week or so. And uh, calling your local representatives, your, your, your representative or your assembly person, depending on the state, uh, your state senator, and telling them their, your story and telling them uh, what you would like to see happen. So um, protesting, uh, definitely, that will raise awareness. There have been some small-scale protests and different things done. Um, I think the biggest issue, uh, last night we had a little bit of a conversation of um, some of the attorneys we, we, that work in this space have tried to get make those things happen. Clients, people in the community say they're going to show up, and then they don't do it. So I, I do think that's one factor in terms of raising awareness at the local level. Um, if it's not standing in front of a courthouse, talking to your neighbors, talking to your friends, telling them what goes on in family court. We have a ton of data. I think NPO, National Parents Organization, has done polls in probably a dozen, maybe closing in on two dozen states. And equal and shared parenting overwhelmingly is popular amongst all demographics. Uh, anywhere between 79 and about 95% of people polled by NPO. And this is not NPO going out and trying to gather the data they want. They hire professional polling companies to go in and conduct these polls. And 79 to 93, 94%, I think is the highest state, um, is insane support for any legislative issue. So, I mean, you think about most bills you're looking at, if the general public is a 50 or 60% for something, that's very, very good support. Uh, in the equal and shared parenting, when these questions are posed to, to random people, they overwhelmingly say that we need equal and shared parenting. So educating your friends and neighbors, yes, getting a group, even if it's a group of three, four, five, ten people to go stand out in front of courthouses, that, that can be something that can be impactful and just raise awareness. So that is a, uh, was a, a good question, Benjamin. But yeah, I would say, um, I know uh, I'll keep plugging it for Sean. Parental Alienation Awareness Day, April 25th. Get to the biggest courthouse you possibly can and uh, park your butt out front with uh, as many friends and colleagues as uh, you possibly can. All right, so... So well, we will, uh, Daniela here, uh, is it legal for a mother to change the child's last amendment without the father knowing? I'm assuming we meant name there. Um, that's going to vary state by state what the specific law or specific rule is in regards to last name. Here in the state of California, you cannot. Um, once you're either the father's on the birth certificate, so if they sign the voluntary declaration of paternity, um, they have, or it's been filed in court, uh, you can't change anything without court approval or the other parent signing off on it. Um, if a, na a last name got left out here in the state of California, the dad can petition to have a hyphenated name uh, put on the birth certificate, and that's very commonly granted. But typically, if father's on the birth certificate and there's no court order, um, it may be a little gray area, but judge is probably going to probably going to change it back. Um, 
but yeah, no, you, you definitely, for, for really anything you do, once you enter the court process, you're either going to need the other side to agree, or you're going to need to go get a court order that states you can do that. All right. So we'll go down to Cody here. Cody says, what is the number one way a father can gain full custody? More specifically, what's looked at most in reference to the importance in the court's eyes? Um, so number one is, I, I think I'll, I'll start out with this. Um, outside of crazy situations, um, I, I don't advocate for either parent to have 100% custody. Um, I'm not going to advocate for a mom to have 100% custody and a dad to have nothing and vice versa. There are situations, um, I, I have clients, I have cases, I've seen issues where there's serious child abuse, there's major substance abuse issues, there's major mental health issues, and these are legitimate, not just the, the kind of standard BS that we see on a day-in, day-out basis in filings, but when there's legitimate concerns. Mom's been arrested for, for X crime, which was committed against the kids. Dad got arrested for DUI while the kid was in the backseat. Um, so I'll start out by saying that, that I, I typically wouldn't advocate for full custody uh, for either parent. But if you're in those situations where that's necessary and for the safety of the child, for the well-being of the child, I, I would say that number one is you need to document everything. Um, I, I have a case right now where um, the, the case has been going on forever. I, I think I'm about the fifth attorney on the case uh, for on my client's side, but uh, he, he, we got him full custody. And what happened was mom was charged with felony child abuse. So that was a situation where we needed to go in right away and make sure the children were safe. And so that was a pretty clear cut situation where we went right in and we said, here's the arrest, here's the charge, and the judge granted it. Now, turning it back, how can dads improve their odds in family court? We know the deck stacked against dads. So I would say number one is either being involved or doing your best to try to be involved in your child's life. The more you know about the day-to-day -day life, the more doctors, schools, um, extracurricular activities. Uh, it's amazing the number of fathers that come into my office that they aren't on the kids' school records. They have no idea where the kids go to the doctor's office. And so when a judge goes to look what's in the best interest of the child when they're trying to make a custody determination, if you can't, you've never taken them to the doctor or you don't even know where they go to the doctor, you don't know anything about their medical, you don't know anything about their school, you don't go to parent-teacher conferences, that's, that's going to be used against you and, and probably rightfully so. Now, there are some situations where mom's done her best to prevent that and maybe dad's let it linger around and, and it just kind of went with the flow for several years. That's going to be a hole that you're going to have to dig out of. So being involved. And then number two is documenting everything. Um, I, I think that if you're going through a custody proceeding or you're thinking about it, you need to just go print out a blank calendar, go into Google, print out a blank calendar for each month and document exactly when you have the kids. Um, I have clients that go to the next step and they document what they did, what they do when they went to doctor's appointments, when they went to games. And let's just say that it takes a year 
for things to get settled in the court, and I know many of you probably have gone more than a year, then we can attach those calendars to a declaration or use them in trial and say, here's dad's involvement with the kids. Because one of the big arguments, and I think one of the arguments that goes the furthest with judges in terms of limiting father's time is when dad's not involved or dad has no proof of involvement. Um, If mom says, hey, he really hasn't been involved and we don't have anything to disprove it other than your words, it can be challenging. Where if she says he's not been involved and all of a sudden we have a color coded calendar that when you're on the stand, you can be questioned about and asked about. Um, that can be very powerful. So first part is I, I don't advocate for anybody um, outside of unfortunate circumstances to have full legal and physical custody, but um, be involved and then document. Those are the two things that's going to help your lawyer. That's going to help yourself the most um, to show you're, you're a fit, willing, and able parent and that you've actually been exercising that. Now, a whole nother path are the situations that are far too common where mom withholds the kids. And it's, it's maybe been a year, 18 months, two years, whatever it may be since you've had real active involvement, or maybe you never have. And that's, that's one of those things, the unfortunate things where probably going to have to, it's going to be a process to work your way to where you want to be. And I'll I'll test, uh, Danielle cleared up her question here. Is it legal for mother to change a child's last name without the father knowing? Um, If not, what could we do to have it changed back? Very simple answer, go to court. Um, You just have to file with court, tell them what happened. And if mom won't agree to, uh, to remedy the issue, you'll go in front of a judge. Got an active comment section tonight. So we'll take Joseph's question here. So Joseph says, my son's mom moved out of state with her boyfriend. She took custody of my daughter and I have my son. She recently reached out saying she was planning to move back here. One, because she misses him and two, because it didn't work out. Uh, And three, because she wants her freedom again. She asked me if we can go back to the original 50-50 custody and I go back to paying her the child support I was. My child support was is now one ninety eight a month, and it it was nine eighty six because it was set by the military. Um, let me finish that. It was set by the military there. Okay, so uh, number one is I mean I, I guess in a sense Joseph uh, in a situation like that. Uh, you have to think about what is in the best interest of the kids. Is it to have two fit, willing, and able parents be active in their lives? Most likely. Um, And then number two, uh, I always have to remind people this, child support and child custody are two completely separate issues. So do I think on its face, it sounds like you have two fit parents. You guys were doing 50-50 before. I think that that, that's probably, that probably would be a positive thing if everybody's living situations are appropriate, if everyone can, can meet the needs of the children, if things go back to the, the way they were when it was a 50-50 arrangement. The child support issue, depending on your state, 
Um, sounds like you, you were in the military. Now you're out of the military. Uh, so depending on your state, I mean, there's probably going to be a calculation. If you make substantially more than her, or even in some states a little bit more than her, even though you have 50-50 custody, um, you may still have to pay child support. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really hard to say without knowing your state, without knowing the exact financials. But um, I, I would say that you need to, in terms of a custody arrangement, deal with that in good faith. If you believe uh, the 50-50 worked before and you believe that's what's best for the kids now, then go for it and handle the child support issue independently. Because uh, in most states, child support's technically an open issue until the kids turn 18. And it can go back and be adjusted pretty much at any time. So I, I would treat them as separate issues. The number one and the most important is what is going to be best for your kids. Um, your son's had limited time with his mom for a certain period of time. Your daughter's had limited time with you for a certain period of time. Um, so maybe easing back into that. But um, first decision you got to make, and hopefully you can make it with her together, that you guys come to a custody arrangement that's going to be best for your kids and then you, and then deal with the child support secondarily. Um, I, I absolutely hate using child support to negotiate anything uh, simply because um, it, I, money, money, money's an issue. Child support's a broken part of our, our system, but um, deal with them separately. That, that would be my advice to you. Look out for the kids. And then if the calculation comes back that you owe X amount of child support, that, that's the way it is. Um, I know a lot of people view that as, as especially with 50-50 custody as being unfair. I don't tend to disagree, but unfortunately what our child support system is now is what we have. All right, we'll pick up uh, Daniel's question here. So Daniel Luna asks, why does child support seem to be one-sided? Family court just cares about dad's pockets. Not all fathers are bad fathers from uh, from what they make it seem. You are 100% correct. And um, so depending on the states, uh, there, there are, well, there are incentives for states collecting child support. And stats show that 79% of custodial decisions go in the favor of mom. And it's only 13 or 14% go in the favor of dad. Um and to this day, for various cultural, social reasons, many of a lot of it has to do with the way family court happens is men just make more money. Um, I would make the argument is the family court system is part of a main driver of that, putting extra parental responsibility on moms and and relegating dads to just being a paycheck. Um, I, I personally in court, I mean, even recently have seen where out here, Department of Child Support Services is much less aggressive at getting support from mom than they would be dad and gives mom much more of an opportunity than dad and looks at it with more empathy towards mom because I know there's probably many watching that earn a decent living are, are good, hardworking people and child support wipes them out to where you're living below poverty. Um, so I, 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 do, I do believe there's a bias um, I, I don't know where exactly that started. I could hypothesize that the vast majority of child support workers that I've worked with are, uh, middle-aged women. I would say women between the ages of 35 and 55. Um, and maybe they're more sympathetic to the plight of a mother rather than the plight of a father who may have 
primary custody or may have 50-50 custody. Um, but it definitely is. Child support's overwhelmingly collected against men. Um, and that's a piece of the system that needs to be fixed. We talked about it quite a bit last night about whether it be wealth redistribution, Title 4D, where there's federal funding um, in regards to collecting child support. Uh, so, I mean, th there's a whole lot of factors in there. There's a lot to untangle. Um, I'm actually going to have an attorney on probably they will be on in February uh, that we're going to deep dive into the federal systems and exactly why child support is the way it is. Um, I think ultimately it, it goes back to anything the federal government or government in general sticks their heads into. Uh, they generally screw up. And, and I think we, we've got a broken and devolving system um, that needs to be fixed. So the bias that may be from office to office, state to state, I think it definitely occurs. Personal experience, they're much more aggressive at pursuing men for child support. Um, and that's something along the lines with the equal and shared parenting that we're trying to pass in all 50 states, that that's going to be the next frontier of changing it. Uh, because this income shares model where you see um, uh, recently you have PJ Washington of the Hornets, Tristan Thompson, um, I think it's the Kings now, um, you, you see them with these outlandish uh, child support bills. You go watch uh, ESPN 30 for 30. I don't know if anybody remembers those. They have the one uh, Billy Corbin uh, and broke. And many of those professional athletes were driven into poverty because they got cut, they got released, they were done playing professional sports, but still had these insane child support bills that they were being forced to pay. Um, so it's, it's probably going to be, uh, I think, we're going to have to start looking at what does it take to really raise a child and then also protecting the paying party, whether it be a man or woman, from ending up in poverty. There needs to be some protections to, to prevent uh, individuals from living in poverty because uh, because they're paying child support. So there, there needs to be some more realistic expectations. All right, Michael, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to you. So no, uh, this group is a joke. No one responds when they say private message them. Um, and they never talk about Indiana. Well, surprise, next week I am having an Indiana attorney on. Um, Deidre Hayes is going to be coming on the show. Um, I'm sorry to hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm Indiana born and raised, alum of Indiana University. So, uh, oops, we lost you there. Um so we definitely are next week going to be talking about the state of Indiana quite a bit and um, having many friends uh, that are going through custody issues in Indiana that I've looked at their cases. Um, pretty familiar with it. Um, I think that Indiana definitely could use a lot of work. Uh, I think one of the biggest struggles in Indiana is um, attorneys. I'm, I'm originally from Kokomo and uh, from, from my understanding of it, there's about six to 10 attorneys that handle family court matters um, in North Central Indiana. So everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows the few judges that are in front of these cases. And so you kind of get some static uh, and, and lack of movement towards where things need to be. Um, Indiana is a state that we're hopeful in the next, this year's legislative session is a truncated one. It's only about six weeks. 
So, uh, but we're hoping 2023, 2024 would be my hope that Indiana is one of the next states to pass a 50-50 custody bill. So, Michael, next week uh, we will be be spending an entire hour on the state of Indiana. All right. James, we have a uh, jurisdictional question here. So I have my son on power of attorney from my ex-wife. Um, don't, I'm not I'm not 100% clear on what that specifically means. She refuses to go to court to change the custody. We live in different states. Divorce was in Georgia, which neither of us live in Georgia anymore. Son uh, has lived with me for 10 months now. How would I go forward? I live in Mississippi, my ex-wife in Florida. So Georgia retains jurisdiction. So the state of Georgia, 100%, they retain the jurisdiction of the case. But in situations where there's no ties to the state anymore, they will relinquish jurisdiction. You just have to get them to do that. Um, and, and since he's been with you for 10 months in, uh, in Mississippi, then Mississippi uh, is, is definitely a candidate to have jurisdiction then. So you may have to go in front of the court in Georgia and ask them to relinquish jurisdiction to Mississippi and transfer the case to Mississippi to be heard there. Um, candidly, I would, I would get on that as soon as possible to get that process started because it's just simply going to take some time. And courts across the country right now are shutting back down, modifying the way they do business because of the recent surge in COVID. Um, so yeah, it, Georgia still has jurisdiction, but I, you, you have a very strong case considering there's no ties to the state of, of Georgia to get that move to Mississippi. Um, on the other hand, if you make an exchange with your uh, ex-wife and she's in the state of Florida, she very well could run to the courts in Florida, file there, and then you have to deal with the case being there or fight over jurisdiction. And on the refuses to go to court, um, one of the, I guess it could be a good or a bad thing. Uh, parties don't have to agree to go to court in uh, it, it, when it's a custody matter. So you just need to uh, file, go through the process, and uh, she can either participate or if she doesn't want to participate, then the court will move forward without her. So you got a strong case given that it's been 10 months and there's no ties to Georgia anymore to get the case moved to Mississippi. It's just a matter of going through that process. So you may need to have an attorney do a little bit of legwork in Georgia and then also have an attorney do a little bit of legwork in, or, or then uh, have the case passed over to Mississippi. Uh, Shim Hall here. Is there a link for the attorneys that you can send me, please? So if you're looking for a referral or a recommendation, um, you can direct message um, uh, my page, The Father's Rights Attorney. And uh, if I have a contact in your region or your area of your state, I can pass that along to you. We do have people in most states um, or at minimum, I can I can ask around and and find a referral for you. So um, just drop me a DM, tell me what state you're in, what city you're in, and I will see what I can do for you.
Lamont. Ever brought up race as the defense? I'm black and literally everyone in my matter was white. The CCRC, mediation in California. Every therapist and the 730 evaluator. Cultural IQ or lack thereof is a reasonable defense. So we actually had a pretty long conversation about race and family courts last night. And that was one of the pieces that was brought up um, is that what's acceptable in certain cultures and in certain socioeconomic backgrounds and um, and what we know about family courts pretty for the most part sealed, but what we know about racial biases in criminal court and what we know about racial biases in terms of employment issues. So in criminal court, it's very, very clear the darker the color of your skin, the longer your prison sentence will be. If you take a white male a, and a black male and they have the same background and they commit the same crimes, the stats say the black man will spend substantially more time in jail. There's that same gap and divide between women and men. If you have a man and a woman, we'll just say a black man and a black woman commit the same crime with the same background, the woman will spend significantly less time in jail. Now, my hypothesis knowing that data is that um, men of color are probably the most at risk in terms of uh, being wronged in the family court system. Uh, it doesn't matter your, your race, your color, your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter any of that. You can, you can get yourself screwed in family court. But if I was a betting man, I would tell you that all the numbers point to, um, it, it's probably more challenging for men of color. And I think you make a good point. I made this about the uh, um, about DCSS here in California or just child support in general. Generally, you're going to be working with white females. Uh, the kind of support staff around the courts in general are white middle-aged females. It's kind of the demographic. And so I, I do believe there's probably some cultural things that, that get missed. And on top of that, I don't think we can discount the societal or cultural pressures on people from different backgrounds. Um, when when I see certain types of certain, we'll say certain races, when I see an African-American com man come into my office, he's getting certain pressures from his family, her family, his circle about what's right and what's wrong. And that's not necessarily true. You can say the same about Hispanic cultures. And quite frankly, you see it much less um, in, in say white or Asian cultures. Those are the four demographics that pretty much all of my clients fit into. So I think there are societal pressures. I think there are systematic bias that occur. And I think there's cultural there. They don't understand culturally what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So I, I, I really do think that that's, that's an issue. And that's something that I think we, we skim over, but if you go to, it's probably about two hours into last night's show uh, on we, the parents podcast, there were four or five of us that, that hopped in and had a conversation on this. But yeah, absolutely. There's no way you can tell me that race isn't a factor in family court. All right. So will the... Uh... Nestor, uh, Mr. Carrera here. How long can it take for them to receive a declaration of paternity after sending it out? X and I got it all done and sent it back uh, the beginning of October 2021 and have yet to hear or get anything back. 
Yeah, so uh, that's going to depend. So I'll, I'll speak specifically here on Cal in California. Um, I, I operate primarily in three counties, Orange, San Bernardino, and Riverside counties, and then some in LA. And in Riverside or Orange County, you could probably expect three to six weeks. Um, I have some cases in some smaller counties, Stanislav County, um, uh, Ventura County, Kern County. They're just smaller population centers than the four Southern California counties, and they may be two weeks. Um, but then I go to, to San Bernardino, it can be three to four months. So if some counties, some areas of the country right now due to COVID are so backed up that it may be three to four months before you hear back when you've submitted just paperwork for the judge to sign. Um, that's just an unfortunate kind of fact of what we're living in. My advice to you would be to call up the court clerk and ask them what's going on. Because uh, it's also easy to maybe not check a box miss filling out a box or check the wrong box that could cause delay. So it can, it can take a while depending on where you're at. All right, Bob here with a good question. So Bob asks, from the beginning of my story, I was named the non-custodial parent. Would joint custody be the next step forward? And is it the same as 50-50? So joint custody, I'll start out. Joint custody does not have to be 50-50 custody. In most states, custody is divided into two pieces. You have legal custody, which is decision-making power, medical education, religion, and then you have physical custody over here, which is who the child is physically with. Um, so, so some states on the legal custody, um, most states have a strong preference uh, outside of allegations or, or different unfortunate situations of giving joint legal custody, which means parents have to work together to make decisions. On the physical custody front, um, States do it one of really, I'll say three ways. Uh, some states, they deem a custodial parent and a non-custodial parent. And in a state like Texas, uh, they essentially dictate what the schedule is going to be. Um, in, so in Texas, a parent gets deemed custodial, a parent gets deemed non-custodial, and it's pretty much set in stone what that custody arrangement is going to be, and they wipe their hands of it. Other states... They will always name a primary custodial parent, and then the other parent has visitation. So um, in California, that's that's very, very common. Uh, California's kind of split um, on this between these last two options, but um, they may name one parent who has 60% custody, the custodial parent having physical custody, and then the other parent who's got 40%, uh, they'll, they'll, give, they'll give it in the form of visitation. Some judges, though, as long as there's some sort of custodial share over 35, 40%, will name it joint physical custody. So the, the percentage of custody, in short, the percentage of custody, uh, whether it be 50, 50, 60, 40, whatever it may be, may have really, depending on your state, may have very little correlation to what joint custody could be. Because you could have 5% uh, timeshare and, ha and she has 
joint or she has full physical custody and you have visitation and you still share legal custody and vice versa. I mean, it could be, I've seen, I came into situations where it's 45, 55, but because of some things that have happened in the past, one parent has full legal custody where the court then deems them to have joint physical custody. So it's not the same. Um, it, it, it can lead to, okay, there's some crossover in the terminology, but the percentages of custody, especially when it comes to uh, legal custody, uh, joint legal custody, you don't have to have really in any situation. I've seen where dad's not having any visitation and he still has joint legal custody. Um, so there, there's a little bit of overlap, but those two, those things mean kind of different things. We got a listener from Jamaica. Cleone, I'm in Jamaica. May I ask a question? Yeah, shoot it out. Um, I, I don't know uh, don't know how much information I can provide on that, but uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, thank you for watching in. Yeah, Kenneth, got to give you the plug here. Unfaltering Fathers will be back next week. Um, as well as TFRM Live with Rosa. Lots of new stuff. Um, I had a conversation, I've had a couple conversations with Casey since Christmas. Uh, there's a lot of big, big things happening with uh, TFRM in the new year. Um, exciting new directions um, that the organization will be going in. And actually, I'm going to put a link right now. Um, so, one of the things it takes. Um, to get new shows off the ground, to get new initiatives like the Equal and Shared Parenting Plan is uh, to uh, raise money. And we, we don't typically, we haven't much in the past, really since Casey took over and we've seen this explosive growth in the organization, we have not, um, not asked for donations. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get here in the next couple of minutes. Let me send this link and uh, get this posted in the comments. Um, any amount of donation is amazing. Um, anything will help. Um, it's an organization entirely funded by donations. Um, hopefully that's changing soon um, with some different initiatives. But uh, we do need money to, to be able to help pass legislation, to help produce more content, uh, really do anything and everything. And I'll tell you this, everyone who does anything on the Father's Rights Movement does it on a volunteer basis. So that is, uh, so the, these donations aren't going to pay in anybody. They aren't doing anything like this. This is going straight to helping parents um, with whatever they need. So give me, give me about two minutes here um, and I'm going to have this. It's going to post from my Facebook page, The Father's Rights Attorney. But that's just a donation link. Um, to donate to the Father's Rights Movement, whether it's a dollar, $25, more, anything helps. All right, so we'll get back to questions here. All right, we'll take Mike's question here. Um, 
My daughter was born November 10th, 2021. I was there for her birth, but because I did not want to quit my job and move to Texas and be with her, she called the cops and tried to say I put hands on her when she was the one who was punching me while driving down the freeway. And we'll get to the second part of it here. With baby in the car, she won't give me any info and recently said she changed the name. So um, in in the state of, of te- you, you need to file with the courts. Um, it's that's that's the very short answer. Um, you could drop me a DM and I'll give you a recommendation depending on where you're at in the state of Texas in terms of an attorney. Um, if you're in the Houston area, uh, Ben Beveridge and uh, Cassandra Daniels are amazing. Jamie Graham in the San Antonio area. All three of them do handle certain cases all over the state. But uh, those are the three off the top of my head. But you need to get into court because um, the state of Texas can be very punitive in with child support and different things with their laws. So you, you need to get into court and uh, protect your rights because sitting back and doing nothing, things are going to stay the same. So if possible, I uh, list Cassandra Daniels, Ben Beveridge, Jamie Graham. Uh, those are three names that, that I would look into in terms of attorneys. If not, uh, the self-help centers, whatever it may be, but you absolutely need to get into court. And this goes for really any, any guy who's struggling with something, whether she's withholding the child or she's doing things that you're struggling to deal with. Um, nothing will change unless you get into court. And I know it's an uncomfortable feeling for many to go through the court and like, hey, I want to work it out outside. Um, but many times, many times you just have to go through the court process. Um, and, and get your outcome that way where you can at least get some stability in your situation. Nicole. Okay, Nicole's question here. How do we change this, that system? It's so flawed. Husbands are damned if they do and damned if they don't. Uh, you, there's the old saying, it's uh, cheaper to keep her. Uh, in, in many cases, that is very, very true for men. Um, when it, when it comes to knowing that the odds are stacked against you, even to get 50, 50 custody, um, the numbers say you're going to make more money than her. So you're going to be forced to pay child support. If you make more money than her, there's a good chance you have to pay spousal support or alimony. Um, so, I mean, I think it starts from really, really the ground up. The system's flawed, uh, in, in, at really every turn whether it be what the judges, the discretion judges have, which allow these biases to seep in, all the way to these third parties, and I'll call them leeches, these third party leeches that um, that come in and they make hundreds of thousands of dollars off a year off of getting appointed by the court to do evaluations, therapy, counseling, um, business valuations. Uh, so I, I think that, I mean, I, I've seen numbers where they believe by 2030, uh, the family court industry is going to be an $80 billion a year industry. $80 billion with se- about 75% of it being spent by men. So I think that the number one thing is we, we got to regulate or get money out of the system because as long as money is in the system, as long as people are uh, are profiting off of being involved in it, then we're going to continue to see the same things. 
And um, I, I'd encourage you again. I mean, it was it was an awesome two and a half hours last night. We the Parents Podcast, um, seven attorneys and Chris Cole on last night. And um, we, we did we touched on where many of us that are fighting for this equal and shared parenting are they're attempting to blackball us. They're attempting to bully us. Um, the bar associations in some states are coming after these attorneys. So there are people on the inside pushing for reform, pushing for change. Uh, we're in the vast minority right now. Um, I, I can only in the state of California, I can only name other than myself, two or three for certain that support equal and shared parenting. All, all the rest think it's the worst idea on the planet. So I think removing, removing the money aspect of it from family court, making it more accessible to pro se litigants. Uh, many states, including California, they have uh, potential legislation this year that's going to allow for non-attorneys to provide legal advice. That means certain situations. So paralegals, legal assistants, um, many dads that are watching this that uh, have grown to understand the system uh, and maybe help dads on the side are going to be able to open legitimate businesses and provide effective coaching to help people navigate. And that's another piece that scares the shit out of the bar associations. Um, I love the idea of it. I, I, I don't think, I mean, there are so many guys who unfortunately um, were full in terms of, of uh, taking on pro bono clients. And there are so many worthy guys that need help that can't necessarily pay to have an attorney do that work. So, there's a bunch, really, really the system. Um, and Ted Bush last night put it great. It's, it's, it's coming crashing down. It's, it's in a nosedive and it's just going to explode. Um, social media um, has brought us all together to be able to have conversations and understand what's going on and compare stories. 15 years ago, um, if you were in Riverside County where I'm at right now and you got screwed in family court, there's a very low likelihood that you know anyone else that had been harmed by that court. Um, I, I can tell you right now, just via social media, I've met no fewer than 20 or 25 guys and gals who have had these things happen at the hands of the same judges. So um, finding those people, I know up in, uh, I won't divulge the county, but there's a there's going to be a, uh, a major lawsuit filed up north in Northern California um, in the next probably 60 days. Uh, in regards to how some judges and the courts are acting. Um, they've already been in federal court and gotten a decision that was very favorable. Similar things have happened in, um, in Chicago. Similar things are happening in St. Louis. Uh, there's New Jersey, there's Texas. So um, it, it's, it, it's I, I don't even know to begin where to start what the first change would be other than just taking a wrecking ball of the entire system. But um, for us to make minor changes, it's finding people with some more stories. It's having your voice heard, reaching out to your legislators, and probably, first of all, educating yourself on, on what a good system would look like so you can have those educated conversations. But that was a good question. Do something. Just like when, when custody stuff is not going your way or it's not working out, sitting there and doing nothing is going to achieve nothing. Um, worst case scenario, shoot an email to your local state rep, your state senator, um, talk to your neighbor down the street that's on the city council or on the school board and, and have these educate people and talk about these issues. So 
that that's that's what that's what my advice on that front would be. Um, Johnny Khan here. This is a good question, and I've actually seen this one recently, and we we challenged it and and actually uh, actually won on it. Is it legal for the mother to claim her adult daughter as the child care provider, pays her in cash, and provides handwritten receipts to the child support agency? So number one is it's legal. It's not illegal to do that. Now, if she's doing that to where there's nefarious reasons behind it, that's when the issue arises. So that's just like I've seen cases where uh, grandma's getting paid and they've always paid grandma a nominal amount to watch the kids certain hours. A divorce occurs and grandma still does. And mom or dad keeps paying grandma that amount. Um, so it's legal. But uh, if it's being done in a situation where it's like mom's home, let's say mom doesn't work and she's paying for child care or she's paying for child care during times when she's at home then uh, then that's when the question will be raised. We uh, in, in my case out here that I dealt with, mom was paying her sister, the aunt, uh, a couple hundred bucks a week, allegedly. There was no receipts. There was no nothing. It was basically the aunt submitted a declaration saying I get paid. She pays me eight hundred dollars a month to watch their child. Well, we dug in, looked into the situation and mom was working like 20 hours a week. So we sat there and we, we were like, so she's working 20 hours a week, but she needs to pay $800 a month in childcare. Something's not adding up uh, at this point. And the kid was in school. So we were able to get child support. The judge threw that part of the expenses out and says, no, that's not a reasonable number. But if it's legitimate childcare, um, there is, there's nothing illegal about that. So that's where you really got to draw the line. It's extremely frustrating, but you're going to probably, and it, it may vary a little bit state to state, you're going to have to be proved it's, it's being done nefariously or it's being done for the sole purpose of getting more money from you. I'm going to give Ken, I got to give this another plug here. If you are a father making change in your community or your child's lives and want to share your experience on unfaltering fathers with uh, Nick Wedlow, uh, let us know. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick's been, uh, Nick just moved. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been, been a busy couple months and uh, I know he's going to get back on the, in the saddle here and his show is going to get back to being weekly now. Uh, great show just coming on, uh, really don't deal much with, with custody or any of these issues. Just talk about being a dad. And there, I know there are many fathers watching this show that do amazing work and do amazing things. And we would love to have you, uh, come on the show and, and share your story. So, um, you can DM the father's rights movement page, or if you visit TFRM.org, there's actually a form that you can fill out that if someone you know or yourself you think you'd be a good guest for uh, my show, Kenneth's show, um, or being on Unfaltering Fathers with Nick, um, reach out and then someone will get in touch with you to see if it is a fit. Whew, I don't think we're going to get to all these. We had a very active comment, or, uh, comment section tonight, so I want to thank everyone for that. 
Ooh, Tyson, this is a good one. And this is actually something I am personally working on. So um, I thought of protesting on, a na on, on national parental alienation, but is there anyone working on getting put on national news, ABC, CBS, 2020, Dr. Phil? Uh, yeah, so there definitely is. Um, I, I know personally, I, I regularly appear on shows within the Equal and Shared Parenting, Father's Rights Community. Um, but one of our goals in 2022 is we live in a bit of an echo chamber. So a lot of people that say they watched two and a half hours of seven attorneys talking about what's wrong with the system last night are now watching me on this. So we're not educating new people. So uh, I know from my standpoint, I know that my media team with my firm is actually starting to work on getting onto those platforms. Uh, later this year, uh, still date TBD. It's been a crazy end of the year and then into the beginning of this for me, but uh, working on a book and uh, book's title is The War on Dad. Uh, that's going to talk about the family court system and what's wrong with it. Uh, so we're probably on my part, we're probably around the release of that book, which is probably going to be into Q1 or sometime in Q2 this year. Uh, we're going to make a big push to get out and try to educate the masses. There have been people, um, Greg Ellis, uh, author of the respondent. He, he's, he was on uh, live with Rosa probably two, three months ago. Uh, he's been on a lot of mainstream media outlets talking about this issue. Um, I know that, uh, Eric Carroll with dad talk today has done some stuff. Um, I've done a handful of interviews already that some of them have not been released as podcasts yet. Uh, on men's shows, general interests, shows with thought leaders. So it's happening. It needs to happen more because we talk a whole lot about what, uh, what's wrong to the people in our community, but we don't necessarily educate the public on what's going on enough. So that, that's a really, really good point. And that's why I say, what can you do on an individual level? Talk to your friends, talk to your family members, talk to your community leaders, um, I have a, a friend who just simply reached out to uh, his local representative and it turns out his local representative had been through issues and 100% supported our cause and is now helping push legislation through. So have those conversations, educate the public. Um, I, I honestly believe that part of what my job is and my position is to get out there and to have those conversations with thought leaders, with community leaders, with government officials about what we have going on. And I know many attorneys feel the same way. Um, Melissa Isaac, Connie Regali, Ted Bush, many of these people, whether they're using their own means or I, I know la last night Connie talked about she had been at the state assembly earlier that day lobbying for some change with CPS. So yeah, I, I, I do believe we need to get out of our, our little circle here and get out of the echo chamber and share our thoughts with people who don't agree with us and educate people who have no idea their issues with family court. So that's a fantastic point though, Tyson. Thank you for that. All right, I'm gonna take one more. Unfortunately, I do have to get out of here. Um, I am currently taking a CLE um, on trial advocacy that starts at six o'clock. So we'll get one more question and then we will get out of here. And I'm sorry, we have like 35 questions on uh on this list lamont come on now i was i was at the niners game in la i, I did i did go to sofi last week 
Um, but uh, he's saying that because, uh, as you can see, I guess I'm on the other side, in the background, I'm a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. So uh, I'm predicting a three-touchdown victory, Lamont, just, just to let you know. If you want to put some money down, you, you know my number. All right, one last question here. All right. Ryan, here's a common one. Um, this this one sucks, but I, I just per experience with clients. This happens. So my ex-spouse has 30 convictions, including domestic violence, and it's not being brought up. If you have an attorney, you need a new attorney. Um, if not, you need to you need to kind of stay, take a step back and you need to start educating the judge on what's going on. And it can't be one of those situations. What judges hate is when you throw uh, information at them verbally in a hearing. So if I came into a case and there's a hearing coming up and there's 30 convictions, I'm going to go in and I'm going to draft probably a three to five page declaration and different states call them different things. And I'm going to lay out all of these charges. Your Honor, this is something that hasn't been taken into account. Now, as frustrating as it may seem, the older the charge is, or if you guys have done 50-50 parenting or whatever it may be since that point, the judge may say, hey, you were okay with this before, you can't bring it up now. But if it's something in an ongoing custody case that just isn't getting the attention it needs, you need to start forcing the issue with the judge and drafting those declarations and giving that information to the court. Uh, because just verbally giving it to them um, it is, can, can a lot of times be a struggle, uh, for them to even want to listen. If you are pro se, I understand it's one of those challenges where, uh, judges definitely give attorneys more time to talk. They'll hear me out where they may cut off a pro se litigant. Uh, and if you have an attorney, that's borderline malpractice. That that's something I, I would be shouting from the rooftops that, Hey, domestic violence, substance abuse, any of those sorts of issues where you have hard facts that it's occurring, that needs to get to the courts. Um, so I, I would say that if you have an attorney, you need to have a conversation about, hey, we need to put this in writing. If you don't, you need to research your state on how to submit declarations. And every single hearing you go to beforehand, you're submitting a same or similar declaration that's laying out all these criminal matters. All right, guys. So um, that'll be it for tonight. I want to thank you guys. I, I'm going to go through the comments actually, a uh, probably tomorrow, and I, I'm, I'm just going to film some videos, create some content on these questions because, based on the number of questions, I could go for another two hours answering questions. And um, I, I, I know you guys, um, I know you guys are, are looking for answers, looking for help. So I want to provide that. So um, here in the next couple of days, I'm going to get on and uh, start creating some content um, on those questions because we probably have another 40 questions on here. But uh, I got to let you guys go for tonight. Next Thursday night, we'll be back. It's going to be my first interview of the new year. Deidre Hayes from the state of Indiana. I believe she's based in Indianapolis. I want to say Carmel or Indianapolis. Um, so Deidre's going to be on next week. Uh, she represents almost exclusively men in family court. So I'm excited to have the conversation with her. 
Then the following week, we have a, we have a special interview as well. Um, Dr. Robert Simon, who, uh, who is an expert witness in court. Um, and he's going to educate us and talk to us about domestic violence, parental alienation. And then that first week of February, we're going to have Jake Mann back from Kansas back on. So we got an exciting couple of weeks. Um, thank you all for supporting. Um, if you go back and look, there is the link to donate in to TFRM in the comments. Um, and we will see everyone next Thursday.